are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Today on the show, we have Mitch Glazer, CEO of the Emory Group of Companies. Since he was 18 years old, he has started 12 companies and is one of Gainesville's greatest serial entrepreneurs. What's up, man? Thank you for Good being morning. here. Good morning. Good to be here. You were so excited. He was messaging me last, oh, what did you do? You messaged me last night. And uh, I got, let me find the text real quick. I should have had this pulled out. Are you sure it was me who yeah. did it? Yeah, because it was 9.53 p.m. I was already asleep, let me mind you, okay? No, I thought these texts were between us only. No, no, they, well, most of them, but this one says not, it goes, not feeling good. And he goes, feeling awesome. Well, I let a couple minutes go by because I thought you'd be like, oh, shoot. We're not going to have this going <laughs> yeah, yeah, on today. Yeah, yeah. What do I do? What do I do? Everybody's on their way. Well, the good thing is I was already asleep. Yeah. Like I was already asleep. So you got up at 4.42 this morning. <laughs> well, yeah. So, and I like hearted his comment at like 4.42 this morning. <laughs> this is, so I'm on the Alex Willis Newell Fox plan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to do this, like wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And uh, so far it's been, it's only been day two. <laughs> Day two, but, Day so, two but so far. And it made it to 4.42. That's right. Not so, 4.30. Right. It's it's more like 4.45 by the time I actually like <clears> get <throat> up. But um, but I'm, I'm you know, trying to get it going, trying to do that thing. A lot of people say, yeah, have you have a lot of productive time in the mornings before the family gets up and before you gotta get the kids ready for school <sighs> and that kind of stuff. Are you a morning person? I, yes. Okay. Pretty but, much. Like when do you start your day? Uh, 9.30, 10. Okay, but when do you wake up? Uh, 9.25. Okay. No, I am very much a morning okay. person, in all sincerity. I, uh, I get up naturally early in the morning, probably almost always a little bit before sunrise. You know, getting up in the morning and your, your attitude in the morning is completely, completely 100% in your control. Yeah. And so I've always gotten up really easy, roll out, go, ready to you know take on whatever the day you know ends up being but uh i'm very much i would be known to most of my family and friends as a morning person okay yes. but i stay up late too so well, um, i'm just trying to get my mind right for the day you know i'm like doing it so those guys got me on like doing the meditation thing yeah. trying to get the head clear get focused yeah. for the day get like my little prayer time in and just just me before the family wakes up and so far, like I said, it's only day two, but like so far it's going going okay. But dude, how are you feeling, man? I know you were sick last week, we missed you. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I missed you guys too. I had to interview romance novel authors by myself. I, I was story. I was nervous, I was a little nervous about it, but oh. it went really well. So, um, but you just got back from Thailand. Yeah. Right? Yeah, was he, didn't, you, he was for, leaving uh, us. Weeks. He was leaving us like <clears throat> dangling this carrot the entire time through the holiday season. <laughs> wasn't going to tell us what was going on, but you were there for how long? Almost three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, three weeks. And you went to golf, right? Yeah, I'm kind of uh, putting into motion, resurrecting my golf career. So That's feeling awesome, health, man. healthier than I have in five, six years, and uh, going to go attack it. Um, so kind of 2019 when we were talking in the fall, it's like, what are you looking for? And I was kind of piecing together Best of Gainesville and different things. I've been trying to set a lot of stuff up um, 
to help myself maybe reboot the golf career. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna go after it this year. I, I got some uh, Asian development tour status, which is like the second tier tour in Asia, which is like the web.com here. Um, so I'll be going back over there a little bit, um, probably first to Malaysia here in a couple months. So that's cool, we're man. Gonna, we're gonna see what happens. So was that your fun. first time over there? Yeah, first time in Asia. That was pretty cool. It was amazing. A lot of uh, it's the scooter. It really is the scooter capital of the world. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like amazing. so many. Yeah, uh, Trace and I, my little brother, and I actually rented some scooters. We took them about an hour north to this place in Canchenbury and did some uh, waterfalls and all sorts of cool stuff. But uh, we rented scooters for like 12 bucks for the day for 24 hours and they went about 75 miles per hour. And it was my uh, little brother's first time on a scooter. Really? I almost put that thing down a couple of times. <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> it was a ton of fun, beautiful country and I can't wait to go back. So when do you go back? Or when you say you go in? I'm figuring that out right now. Out. Okay. Yeah, so I gotta see what I'm exempt into and Dude, you know, good for you, man. I mean, adding, the, your story was awesome. I was yeah. watching your Instagram stories. Yeah, you guys. I mean, so you have the best of Gainesville Instagram account, but you also have your personal Tyra Curian account. Yeah, I've been trying and to follow you and work on some personal branding. Yeah, um, and that's where you were showing a lot of all this stuff, and it was yeah. super cool. Yeah, I've got about uh, twenty golf companies that I've been kind of working with um, to do some promos and some different kind of influencer type stuff. So I'm trying to do it both from my golf academy side and my personal side, and uh, use all the stuff I've learned from Best of Gainesville and just in general with marketing <coughs> stuff to kind of you know do a little bit more personal stuff than I ever have. It's a little uncomfortable, but uh, podcast helps. You know, yeah, you got to get outside of that yeah, box, right? You got to push your comfort zone. I think you always got to do that as an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Uh, totally. Get outside yep. of your com comfort 100%. zone. Dude, new well, sounds like he's doing awesome. Yeah, no, he's yeah, definitely we'll doing awesome. Just adding more stuff to the to the plate. Well, it's a new year, <laughs> like new year, new growth, yeah, new opportunities. 100%. You got to do that, right? The new scooters for less will uh, grace the cover of Power Sports yeah. Business Magazine yesterday, which was pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. So that's like for us. I mean, in, in the industry, it's a really well known magazine. Mm -hmm. So to be the cover story was pretty cool. Yeah. Price wall was featured. Yeah, yeah, super yeah. Cool. The the unique things that we do were featured, so yeah. that, was, that was pretty cool. But uh, Mitch, man, thanks again for for being here. Sure. So guys, this is somebody who I consistently go to, who's just um, just been super open and has spent. You know, I mean, I, like, I don't know if you're transparent with everybody, but you're very transparent with me and have helped me with a lot mm -hmm. of the things going on in my companies. Right. Um, I definitely consider you a mentor. Um, I know that we don't like meet all the time, mm -hmm. but but you're always there when I when I need you, and I've always really appreciated that. And um, so I'm like, I'm just really excited for this interview. I know you've seen some of our podcasts. We always like to start with the origin story, kind of take it way yeah. back. And then, and then just let the conversation go from there because I know I can get into a plethora of different topics with you. Right. So for a lot of Gainesville and a lot of the world that doesn't know, like just give us that origin story. Um, how did? How have you gotten to the point? Yeah. You know, how have you gotten to this point today? Right. So <clears throat> I think you know a lot of times, at least my story, as you kind of paraphrased it. It's really about the people who are around me. And you talked about the mentorship that, that I've had for you. Um, I, there's a lot of mentoring opportunities here in Gainesville. There's a, a great community wrapped around offering insights to young entrepreneurs. Um, and, uh, 
you know, more than than about me, I think it's the folks who really kind of helped shape me. So when I talk about the genesis of some of the things and the reason I'm here today, it probably, you know, really harkens back even to my grandparents, um, both on my father's side and my my mother's side. My my mother's grandfather, who I, I mean, father, who I was actually named after, um, which is where Emory comes from, Mitchell Emory, uh, was a school board member. Was a um, he was post commander for the American Legion. Uh, he was a poultry farmer, but he was a CPA actually by education, and he was an entrepreneur himself. And that's where uh, the Emory Group of Companies, who I'm the CEO for, actually uh, began. And that, so that's the genesis of that. My mother was raised in Zephyr Hills, Florida. And when was that? Like, what year was that? Uh, he came to Florida in 1923. Okay, and so. But he died when my mother was eight, and so the influence was very strong on her from just the impact of knowing who he was and how involved in the community and how philanthropic and also civic-minded he was, uh, kind of, you know, carried forward. So, but on my mother, my my grandmother, you have to think about she was raising five girls by herself, okay, um, you know, on a farm. Uh, pretty remarkable. When we think of women today, you know, I often think about my grandmother who raised five girls by herself. What a very strong and impactful uh, lady she was to have, uh, you know, that kind of uh, impact on on those lives. Uh, my father, just kind of fast forward, um, his parents were actually German immigrants and uh, worked in the basically what you would know as sweat labor, um, poor conditions, actually was somewhat the genesis for unions because they didn't have a lot of the, you know, air conditioning, heating, those kinds of things. And they were, um, you know, they went, they were lunchbox workers. They packed a lunch every day. They clocked in, stood in the lines at the factories and so forth. And so, um, you know, that impact also uh, was profound to my father and kind of set his path. And so they were very, very, very poor and they would come home and drink and uh, alcohol. And um, yeah, and uh, thank, thank and, you for and, clarifying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just, were, just wanted to know, make sure. Pure and simple. I mean, uh, it's it's a fact, and it's nothing to be proud of. But they were alcoholics, smoke a lot, you know, packs of cigarettes a day. They ended up dying at a fairly younger age. And um, there's a lot of stories that that kind of surface out of that. Uh, but uh, my father was raised in an extremely poor conditions in in Patterson, New Jersey. Um, and so he joined the Air Force when he was 17 years old. And so he found his way. And it was during the Korean uh, War. As, as it was considered a conflict, but now it's considered a war. But uh, So he served eight years in the Air Force and was actually ended up getting stationed down at MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa. And so that's when my parents actually met. And so after serving the eight years, uh, my father decided to go to college. Well, guess what? Like a lot of the stories you hear, a lot of people come to Gainesville. Um, they go to college here, they fall in love with the town, and um, uh, they stay. And that's really how I ended up in Gainesville. So in 1955, um, my dad came, my folks came here, they got married. Um, and just to kind of put it in perspective in terms of my upbringing, they moved into, in 1955, they moved into a 28-foot long mobile home, eight feet wide and 28 feet long, and actually started their family there and was going to college and so forth. So um, uh, 
what's incredible about this story is 36 months later, okay, from the time they were married to 36 months later, they were a family of five, okay? So in three years' time, uh, they had three kids and had, you know, gotten to a longer mobile home. I don't know about wider, but certainly longer. And um, so unfortunately, my father had to drop out of college. And um, so he, um, uh, you know, you, you can imagine the, the condition that that really provided. Not very smart when you think about it. Uh, my father was, you know, flipping burgers at night. You know, he, um, because of his Air Force duty, he actually got a job as a police officer at the University of Florida. Um, but just couldn't make ends meet. And so he actually got his real estate license. And um, uh, if you want me to tell a really cool story, um, I'm actually uh, about halfway into a book called The Sexy Rut, and I'll talk about The Sexy Rut here in a minute. But um, my father, the only possession he had um, from his family were two things from his upbringing were two things. Um, One was a train set that he had gotten at five years old that still is in my office. He gave it to me when I took over Glazer Realty. And um, so it's it's sitting there, you know, front and center, pretty prominent. It's just old, old, you know, HO train set, like six cars, but a big transformer and just cool. But it's the only possession he has. The other one was when his mother uh, was born, um, my grandmother, uh, her parents didn't have any money. And they set aside a silver dollar of the year that she was born. The dollar was quite a bit of money back then, actually. They set aside, and that was a gift to her uh, and for her, for her baptism. And... When my father went through First Communion, we were raised Catholic, and uh, when he went to First Communion, they had nothing. They had nothing. Were they going to give him a cigarette, you know, a bottle of whiskey? Seriously. I mean, it was that, it, they were that poor and that broke. And um, so they decided they gave my father the silver dollar of my, my grandmother's birth. Uh, year and my dad kept that silver dollar in his pocket as a child and all through high school and all through the military and when he got a call and his father had died a few years earlier um, he got a call that his that my grandmother was dying and she was in Patterson New Jersey and he ought to come see her so he got he, he, he got with them. He was in the Air Force, and they let him go home. And he was down at MacDill. Now, my father didn't own a car, and they didn't have scooters. He hitchhiked from Tampa, Florida, all the way to Patterson, New Jersey, with that dollar with him. And honest to God, the last thing he was able to do with her is they put that dollar between their hands and just prayed. And so he had to come back home, and on his way home, which took days because he was hitchhiking, um, she died. And, um, you know, the dollar became a very powerful representation of that bond between them. 
And um, so kind of fast forward just a little bit. My father was struggling. My parents, excuse me, were struggling so bad with three children. I had not been born yet. And so they were struggling. And the struggle went like this. It was pretty simple. Um, they would get down to the end of the week. And my father was flipping burgers, as we like, I like to say, at a place called um, King Burger. Not Burger King, but King Burger on 16th Avenue. I think it was located, actually, near where Burger King is, actually, near, near Main Street. And um, they would get down to the end of the week, and they would have no money for food. And he would take that silver dollar down to a store, a corner store, and he would he had a deal with the person who worked the cash register. And he said, I would like for you to set this dollar aside, and when I get paid, I'm going to come get the dollar. And I'm not making this up. They would literally get peanut butter and a loaf of bread to feed the family because that's how things were. And this went on for some time, and the takeaway is real simple. Look, we are creatures of habit. We all talked about this morning our habits about getting up and those kinds of things and how we change gears and how we become who we are and how we have influence and how we affect other people around us. The realities of of change come with really hard, tough decisions. And sometimes those decisions actually to have the effect that they need to have sometimes don't make logical sense. So they were in this routine and they were like, how, how do you get out of the routine of going down to the corner store every week before you get your paycheck every week and cash that dollar in? How do you break that? And my father knew the answer. Being of Christian faith and, and the belief, he took the silver dollar to St. Patrick's on 16th Avenue, walked into the church, and dropped the silver dollar into the poor box, never ever to be retrieved again, and broke the cycle. What's interesting is he did that on the way to work, and the owner of the burger, of the King Burger, actually came in and, and knew that my father had gotten his real estate license and said, Ralph, uh, you got anything special for sale? I have some money to invest and made his first sale on that same day, put the deal together. Wow. And it was Magnesia Springs, of all things, a local spring here in the area. And from there, my father's real estate career started. But that kind of sets the tone for kind of who I am, right? People say, you know, what, what kind of made you do the things you, you know? And so <clears throat> I... Um, was born later, five years later, my mom had me and then couldn't have any children. It was over for her and, and literally uh, for medical reasons could not have any more children. Um, but they then went into foster care. And so I'm one of 81 kids. My parents were foster parents. And so my parents took in 76 foster kids over about a 30 year period. And I have one adopted sister named Teresa. and. Um, What's interesting is of the four children born to my mother and my adopted sister, we're all entrepreneurs. We write our own checks every single 
if we get paid, we're the last to get paid. <laughs> right. But it's fascinating that how a family actually generated five children that are all self, 100% self-employed, five kids. I've never heard of that before. So we're very entrepreneurial. And that entrepreneurial spirit started when we were very, very young, predominantly because we had no money. We got a nickel per year old we were per week. So when you were five years old, you got a quarter for your allowance. And when you were 10, you got 50 cents and it went up a nickel every year. And you know, I, I never forget like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm gonna turn, you know, my birthday is coming up. I get another nickel per week. And um, so when it came to wanting something, it was, it was there, I could tell you so many stories and so many things going through my head, but we wanted to go on a vacation. You know what we did? My parents didn't pay for a vacation. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go on a plane until I was, I might have been, I did not go on a plane. I think I might have been 25 years old. It's crazy. No, no, it's not. I'm trying to think of anything before that, but yeah. no, it was, I was quite, quite an adult. And, uh, but so we took vacations in the proverbial station wagons. You know, we load all the kids in and I mean, we would, it thing would almost be dragging the ground, you know, with stuff on top, and, <laughs> you know. And so it'd be, we'd pick a city and it wasn't, it was like Atlanta or we'd go down to Keys. And we'd, I mean, it, and so, but we had a, my mom would put a jar on the, on the, we had a big long dining room table and she put a jar over there and she says, well, here's how much money we need to raise if you all want to go on. And we would go door to door in the neighborhoods. You need an odd job. I'll sweep, I'll clean your windows, I'll do I'll mow your lawn, I'll do whatever, whatever it takes. And you go and you put money in that jar. And when we hit that amount of money, we were on a road trip. We would go and hang off the back, collect bottles on the side of the road, things like that, because people used to litter and you know throw the bottles out when they were done with them or whatever, you know couple cents you know depending on the type of bottle and everything so i mean we were we were knocking on doors very young and one of the stories that has been published quite a few times is the the red wagon story and that's where i was about five or six i think it was six years old and i went and knocked on a door you know now you'd be snatched almost but uh yes i knocked on doors at six years old and um this lady needed some elephant ears removed from her backyard, and she says, I'll pay you a dollar a piece for like five of them or something. It was like hitting the gold mine, you know? And uh, I put them in a red wagon, and she says, what are you gonna do with them? Because usually you just throw them away or you throw them in a garden, you just kill them, because they would, they would literally, you know, they grow and grow and grow. She wanted them kind of cold back. I went door to door selling them, you know? And they were just like, how ingenious, you know? It was pretty funny. And so it was anything to, create an opportunity. I collected coins. I still have a huge coin collection. And uh, um, I would sit out on, we had a house out on 39th Avenue. I'd get a folding table, buy a couple cardboard uh, white sheets down at the drugstore and put coin sale on there. And people would pull off and they'd say, I was born in whatever year. And they'd buy a coin and off they'd go. And I just, when I bought a coin, I just double the price on it and they would just pay it. And it got to a point where on a, you know, like on a week and a good weekend, Saturday or whatever, you know, I could make some pretty good money and people would buy and sell and they'd say, hey, I've got some to sell and whatnot. So it was always about creating an opportunity. And um, uh, 
so that's that's kind of the start. I mean, it, it really it really does hark back to my parents, and then kind of my family doing that. We we have, you know, we would. Um, I remember my brother Greg actually won a motorcycle for the walkathon for March of Dimes because we raised the most money, and we would go out and just get pledges and. Um, you know, back, uh, we created, I remember when I was in middle school, we would sell tickets for car washes before anybody else did it. No one sold tickets for a car wash. So you'd sell a ticket to a car wash, they probably wouldn't even show up right. before the car wash. And, you know, I'd sell the most out of the whole school and things like that. So there's a lot of sales background and so forth. But That's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a crazy story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you think yeah. your, even your coin collecting had anything to do with the, the silver story. dollar, yeah. Um, I always, so, I, 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 I don't know. I always like to analyze things like that. I'm like, ah, maybe if you didn't even realize it, but subliminally or something, you're like, well, what really happened, you know, during my period of, of growing up, coins actually changed. They went from the old wheat sheath uh, backing to a, 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 a different stamping of the coin. And what happened is those were rotating out of circulation. As they rotated out of circulation, the penny became worth two pennies, okay? So we would go um, up to the bank on the corner and I'd buy $100 worth of pennies. And even my father and I, we just loved watching TV and we would take a roll of coin, 50, pennies out of a roll, we'd unroll it, flip them all over and go, 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 go through and call out the wheat sheaths, okay? And then we would put the pennies back and we'd rotate this $100 of pennies all the time. The bank loved us. I even had, um, yeah, I had a good friend whose father was bank president, let us in the vault and actually would go through and we would, uh, we didn't have enough, I didn't have enough money, my parents, I mean, um, uh, we didn't have enough money to buy the silver because you could find silver in there too. Because at that time, some people would still have full silver coins, you know, older silver. And that was really good money because, you know, the silver was worth more than just the, the, the uh, penny. And so we would go in the vault and we would go through all these coins, you know, these bags. They were just bags of coins and he trusted us impeccably. And we'd take a bag of coins and untie the bag because they're in these white bags and we tip them out. We just run through and you look at the side of them, not the date, but the actual side. Dang. And you could tell if it had any copper in it or if it had just pure silver. And we'd pull those out and we'd say, you know, Mr. Shiver, we have so many dollars in silver and we would trade it back and put it in there. Dang. Oh, it was crazy. That's, that's yeah. Cool. yeah. You, you have to appreciate. So when I just again to follow the progression of the struggle. I hate to use the word poor. I mean, yeah. but the the real definitive struggle. So when we all graduated from high school, number 1 right or wrong and don't take this the wrong way and be watching whatever but we didn't get a graduation party for a high school that was not a big deal you want a graduation party you graduate from college because that was the inspiration my parents wanted us to have right and so um but they said when you graduate we will give you one thousand dollars i did not receive that one thousand dollars for a couple years they couldn't afford it 
Yeah. They just couldn't. And, you know, it it was a struggle for me because I, you know, I could use a thousand bucks really, really bad at the time. Um, I was riding a motorcycle for, I actually had a, a, a Camaro, the transmission went out that I bought, you know, gas, insurance, car, the whole thing um, by working. Uh, one of the downsides is, sides is I was not able to participate in after school sports very much. I'd played baseball at Little League and was pretty darn good tennis player. Greg and I are both very, very good tennis players at the time. But we had, I had to go home and go to work. I worked at a gas. I mean, I worked packing bell peppers. I worked at a gas station. I mean, I got I had jobs, jobs, jobs. You know, but uh, no, it was it was a real struggle. And uh, but there was a lot of life lessons learned out of it all. Uh, the coin thing was more, I think, of a timing thing more than the silver dollar story. To be candid, yeah. um, but uh, we it was it was really making something out of an opportunity. All right. So tell me, like college life you came to uf nope okay so i went to santa fe okay you went to santa fe yeah. but so you did come to gainesville like when was that no my parents were here since 55 okay so no they they're the ones that stayed and i was raised so you're home okay oh yeah stephen foster element duval uh went to duval i went to stephen foster went to fort clark the first year was open um yeah okay gainesville high school grad so 1842 been here all this time when did you 1842 (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) the you went to santa fe i mean were you working in your dad's real estate company like when did that when did that start was that while you were in school or like so i got my real estate license 18 years old so here's what's really funny. I was taking my real estate course at 17 because I wanted to go into real estate really bad. And I just loved it. What, just was, because of your dad's influence? Or? Um, in large part, I think there was... Uh, um, so what I was able to do was meld the real estate world with entrepreneurship. And here's how it worked. So um, ironically, uh, my father and I got along really, really well. Um, there was, I was wanting to get into real estate and he was not wanting me to take the reins of Glazer Realty because he had this feeling, this implied feeling that all of the other siblings, now all the, candidly, all the foster children were treated equally as, as, as blood, as natural born children to my parents. You would never know. You would never know, other than some of them were Asian and black and Hispanic and and whatnot. You would never know that they weren't my parents' children, okay, by look. So all the, let's just say all the Caucasian children, you would never know. Now, some of them, you could say, oh, that's little Joni's son because it looks like him or whatever. I don't know. But you see what I'm saying? We were treated equally. Um, And my father just did not want any of the siblings, my siblings, to feel like I got something that they could that they you know if it, if I did really well they were going to be resentful towards me and he didn't want that for my future so I got my real estate license uh, I was in school on 17 I was going to have my uh, adult rights in, instituted and um, but the Iran uh, hostage situation was going on and they were bringing up the draft this is Jimmy Carter was president and so forth 
and I was like, mm, I think I rather I better stay, you know, un- stay under 18 for as long as I can, <laughs> and uh, um, just because I wasn't 18, it's not that I would have done anything to uh, circumvent the draft at all. In fact, when I was 18, the first my first on my birthday, I went down and signed up actually. Um, but it was shortly after that, uh, after my 18th birthday, I got my real estate license. Uh, and then I went to work for my father's company. And um, it went fine and so forth, but it was uh, about a year and a half later, so I went and got my broker's license, which is crazy because to have your broker's license for as long as I have and as young as I am is almost unheard of. I mean, to be able to get it at, I think I might have been, I was either 19 or 20 years old. I, I don't know the exact date I got it. But um, anyways, I started my own company and it was uh, Mitchie Glazer and Associates. And that's where Mega Book came from. Mega, M-E-G-A, Mitch E. Glazer and Associates. And so, um, uh, and that's a whole nother well, <laughs> you know, thing as well. But uh, so anyways, I did that. So I had my own company. My father had his own company. We did our own thing. But the entrepreneurship, what happened was, you know, I saw opportunities in real estate to lease from myself. So I started, you know, uh, 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 the, really one of the first day spas in, in Gainesville and, um, you know, had 13 uh, employees there. Um, uh, but I owned the building and I was able to justify the income off of the off the business side to justify the real estate side. That's what I love. Um, I was president of a company. We started Contemporary Care. It's the first I built. Uh, my company built the first adult congregate living facility, the first ACLF. Now they're called ALFs. So now you have the village, and you have you know you have all these different retirement communities. They did not exist when I had graduated from high school. Hmm. They were all converted homes. So like Bailey House and all these different houses had been converted to house elderly individuals. But I built the very first ACLF in Alachua County's history, ever, and from ground up. And uh, so there's a lot of firsts, if you will. Um, but I, you know, I, I didn't bring the list. It's so funny if you ask me to name the 12 companies I started, I could hardly <laughs> remember, them. Hardly remember <laughs> them. I mean, I'd really have to go through the sequence to be candid. Um, you know, the, the biggest one that I, I, I owned and did really well with was, and did it in 30 months was Megabook. So I worked for New York Times Company for eight years and they published their new products division. And I ultimately became their, um, you know, their, their general manager for that, for that uh, division and product line that they had. And they were, they were printing, actually I worked for the first, the original Google. Do you know what the original Google is? No. Do I? <laughs> it's like called a racking. phone book. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I know what a phone book is. Yeah, so that's the original Google. They still get dropped off on my yeah. front porch every once in a while, and they go directly <laughs> into the recycling <laughs> bin. Yeah, but that's 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 what I that's where I really made a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities came my way. So New York Times went into the independent phone book business, and they printed phone books, and they're the ones who invented or not invented but created. Um, Opportunities for markets. So the old phone book was it was a name and a phone number, okay. And then when the competition and that was under a monopoly system. Well, then when you could buy that data from them, when they were forced to sell that data to you, 
Then you put in addresses and zip codes and community pages and maps and things to do and places to go and restaurant menus. And we did these mini books. Have you ever seen the mini books? Mm -hmm. You know, when cell phones became real popular, said, well, you don't want a full size book in your car. Do a little mini book. And people loved it because they could put it in their, you know, little uh, side glove boxes and so forth. So it was it was the independent phone directories that brought creativity and really uh, brought the concept of bringing more information and data to the consumer, right? And they did it for half the rate of what others, uh, what uh, the baby bells at the time, they've been aggregated back now as, as um, AT&T. They were AT&T, went to baby bells, then back to AT&T. But uh, they were the ones that brought, and we would come up with all kinds of ideas. You know, we'd give you a special phone number so you could track and see that Betty Jones called you on this date at this time, and you right. talked to her for seven minutes. Yeah. And then we'd just, you'd do a charge per call. You'd say, well, you don't want to advertise with me? How, mu- how much is a customer worth? And they go, well, well, what do you mean customer worth? I said, well, I'm only charge you if, you, if, if I make your phone ring. And you're like, what? Okay, that's cool. Right. So we put a special phone number in there. And you never knew it because it just dovetailed in, but you get this report and you say, wow, I did sell a, I did sell a scooter to so-and-so and that was worth X and I only paid 10 cents for this phone call. But you add all those 10 cents up and that would be your bill. So there were all kinds of ideas we we're coming out with. And, uh, but I started Megabook, uh, which Mega was Mitch E. Glazer and Associates. People, you're the third person that knows this. But, um, and now, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. And, uh, and then if anybody watches this podcast, they'll be the ninth, tenth, and eleventh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but, um, but mega meaning big, you know, as well. Sure. So it kind of had this like, yeah, you should just run with the acronym, you know, mega book. It's going to be this big book, you know, filled with all kinds of information. And then we did a blimp at the O'Connell Center. They, that was a funny story. They they were like, I was like, we, you know, I saw a blimp in another arena somewhere. I was like, I want to do a blimp in the O'Connell Center at basketball games. And they were like, no, 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 no. I said, I'll pay you. And they're like, okay, we'll beta test it at the women's basketball game. So we bought this huge blimp, you know. And flew it around in there. <laughs> flew it around there, put this little, you know the spiral thing that you, at a vending machine, you push the button, and remember yep. it used to unspiral one of the candies or bags of chips or whatever. So we put this spiral thing and we hung coupons on it. Free pizza, or we actually did lottery tickets. They, you, got, you can't do lottery tickets, you know, kids are getting them. Yeah. And anyways, what happened was that the women's basketball game doesn't have as many uh, attendees. So we would go around, the blimp would go and it would drop a coupon and then go around to another area and drop a coupon. Well, people were tripping over each other. Trying to get them. Trying to get them. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So they let it happen at the men's basketball games. But the place was so full, people couldn't travel over the bleachers and you know, I've, I've caught a couple of those coupons. I, oh, I used you? to sit 10th row behind the basket closest <laughs> to the Gators. That was the best. I mean, it's cool because you, you like, had everybody's attention. I still oh. talk about it when we go to games now. Yeah. It's like, where's the blimp? Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. It's That's a great neat. idea. Yeah. So, you know, that goes into marketing. I'm really, yeah. I'm guerrilla. I'm all about guerrilla uh, yeah, marketing, cool. coming up with different ideas. 
Um, so I mean, did just uh, just evolution kill that business? I mean, with social media and that kind of thing, or no, did not you at sell all. it, or did like yeah, what yeah. happened? So a funny story: we were the fastest growing publishing co- uh, phone book company in the country, which means we were fastest in the world, and we were just crushing it. What had happened before that? So I worked for New York Times for seven for eight years, okay, and I'd, I'd risen into management pretty quickly, but I hold the sales record at New York Times Company, okay and probably still stands this day, I don't know. It probably will, just because the way the dynamics of newspaper and whatever. But it's, Google so, it. so. Google it, Google don't it. phone book it, but Google it. That's fine, <laughs> there's, been, there's been plenty of stories written about. So anyways, um, so when they sold, I tried to buy, uh, it was called Sourcebook, and from New York Times, they ended up selling to a company called Transwestern. <laughs> Well, I knew I didn't want to work for Transwestern and so forth, and so uh, I got a call. I I turned in my resignation. I went. It, funny thing is, I went down. I bought a brand spanking new convertible car, Corvette. I drove it back to Gainesville. I drove it to the front of that building, and I walked in and turned in my resi- resignation. Now, I would not recommend you do this. <laughs> But I knew it would inspire me. I was making crazy amounts of money, candidly. Um, uh, I'll come back to that story. I walked in and turned in my resignation. And on that was on a Friday. And on Sunday, my phone rings. And a lady, her name's Jackie Punky, of all things. And uh, anyway, she said, I heard you had resigned. She goes, I want you to, we're, we're, we're starting this new um, motivational division and sales training, you know, out of my company, um, and it was up in in Michigan, and I was like, Jackie, two things. Let me just share with you. Number one is two smartest things I ever said in my entire life. Number one is I'm not moving to Michigan, <laughs> <laughs> and number two is I told her she could not afford me, and she said, Oh, you have no idea. And um, candidly, I made 3150 bucks a day. Yeah, every day I was on stage. They put me on stage 36 weeks a year. Dang. It was crazy, okay? And so immediately hit the ground running and, and uh, did that for three years. Well, here's the beauty of it. The work I did all over the world, Romania, Europe, Canada was about half of my work, all through the States, of course had a blast um it was great did it for three years uh which is a lot and then i was out of the country on 9 11 which is a whole nother story um but uh the realities are i came back and started a mega book but what i was armed with were the best practices of a lot of the best publishing companies in the world and so i would come to your company as an example if i was working for in your industry, and I was able to see other models of what you do, right, or other what other owners would do. Right, I could say, you know, uh, I don't know, College Town. Let's go start it in college. I don't know. I, I don't know your business well enough to pick it apart and say these are really his best practices. Um, you know, your marketing efforts, your your team building, your compensation plan, your you know, visibility in the community, your involvement, your civic, you know, organizations, whatever they are. And so Megabook was really about putting a puzzle together. 
And so it wasn't anything that, I mean, I guess in a way I was fortunate enough to have the right people and the right ideas to pull it together, right? Call it pieces of the puzzle. But I was taking that one's marketing ideas and I was taking that one's distribution ideas and this one's pricing ideas and this one's billing ideas and this one's, and I was, you know, putting it all together. And we actually, our very first year, we were outpacing the source book, which I had done for eight years. We're really 11 year old product. An 11 year old product, I sold more in my first year than they did in 11 years of building the business because we had brought that model to, you know, here. And when really 30 months later, two and a half years, I sold out for millions and millions of dollars. I mean, lots of, yeah, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, and it was, uh, it was only a couple of years later? When, when? Two and a half, 30 months later. Dang. For over 15. Dang. Yeah. So the, the, um, uh, can I have some of it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's all gone. Yeah. It's all Damn. gone. You know, I mean, yeah. I had a Doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah. I'm well, trying to get over this fear of rejections. Well, <laughs> just, man, just you, like, talk, you talk about fear of rejection. I lost uh, over $3 million in St. Louis in my phone book operation up there. Yeah. So it's not all, it, it, you know, you kind of have to, just like our lives, you know, you have to add sure. it all up. You know, what's this, what, net, all net. the line, net, net. Yep. Yep. Because. Um, you're going to have opportunities in the world and you're going to have some failures. And there's a lot, you know, it's very, the the proverbial, you know, there's a lot more learned over a failure than over a win. So So. is is the real estate like the thing now? Like, do you have your hands? Right now? Because I know you got Tech City going on. I want to spend a few minutes on that. We're already at like 50 minutes. So, I mean, we could go on all day. I know we could, but I, so I want to get into that. I just want an invitation back. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Like, oh. that, that, I think that's what's gonna be so great yeah. about I'm this. See I mean, we've, like, we've already talked about how cool it's gonna be to have people come back and then and see, I'm gonna see, see where they're the, at. I'm gonna we, see if your check cashes or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's see that first. So, yeah, yeah, I wanna see that. <laughs> uh, but, but, so I mean, is what, real, real estate the no. thing? Like, are you, you got your hands in so, other So stuff. my passion, you know, there, there, there's, you know, again, the old cliche is you never work a day of your life if you follow and do what you love to do. And 100%. so it, it really is true. Uh, so September 17th, a year ago, so a year and a half, I retired. I'm done, right? What's that mean? I always ask me, I go, Mitch, you're working harder than you've ever worked. So I don't know if I'd call it work. You yeah. know, I don't set an alarm clock. You're just clock. playing. Yeah, I'm playing. But I'm having a blast know, doing it, and awesome. it really, it really shows. People are like, you know, really, really engaged to jump on board and and do things with me because they see that it's just. You talked about transparency. It's like, hey, it's all transparent. If you want to be a part of it, great, jump on. If not, whatever. I mean, I have my podcast as well. We do once a month called Startup Talks, and so that's I love doing that because it 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 goes back to entrepreneurship. I get to bring and sh- showcase you know, common denominators amongst entrepreneurs. And you were on there, and so you saw the group, and we, do, I mean, it's great. So people learn little tidbits along the way. And those golden nuggets add up to be very valuable. Um, you know, I do love real estate. I like that creation element of things. Also still, I like creating ideas and things and, and so forth. Um, uh, 
So I guess through the vein of real estate, it's a comfort zone. I know it well. I can do it in my sleep kind of thing. And that's what Tech City really is somewhat about. But, um, you know, we're creating a mentorship program up there that's going to be almost unparalleled to anything in, in, the, in the region or even in the state. Um, and then we're creating this really cool vibe up there. I mean, it's, it's morphed into, you know, these. Well, for cool, people who don't know, like, give us, give us a yeah. very general. So, so the, the real opportunity was this, that there was a void in our community for companies to make, to have another choice in the uh, myriad of real estate uh, decisions. Um, if I could take one second and kind of express the state of real estate the way I see it, a lot of people do not really comprehend what the retail side, the commercial side, the the office side, the malls, the shopping centers and all of that, what they really are. There's been a lot of disruption, if you will, to food delivery systems. You see prepackaged meal, meals going on. And there was this whole movement, this concept that the malls are dead, that real estate is dead. And it's not, and let me tell you why. Not until you get to virtual reality, which is possible, which is coming, okay? Maybe decades down the way, who knows? I mean, if you're gonna be able to put a headset on and climb a mountain as if you're there, like really feel like you're climbing, maybe even exercise to the extent on a machine. I mean, USA Today had a survey on their front page that says 66% of millennials think they will have a, I don't think they use the word intimate in the same way you would think intimate, but a real bonding relationship with a robot, with with an artificial intelligent thing. 66% think they will have a relationship with a thing of the future, okay? Until we get there. Now, I don't know what life really becomes then if you really uh, put the headset on and go to Thailand versus really going to Thailand. So I don't know what values we're gonna place as humans on that. I don't know. But follow me for a second. When you go to Outback Restaurant, what are you going to? Just a word. Or what, what's your definition of Outback? What is it? What is Outback? It's just a restaurant. Right. 99.99999% of the people say it's a restaurant. It's a food distribution center is what it is. Okay? When you go to Walmart, what is Walmart? It's a distribution center. Okay? So when you think about the concept of distribution centers, when you think of Amazon was going to put everybody out of business, right? It's going to put all the malls out of business. What did they do? They bought what? What was their big recent Whole purchase? Foods. Whole Foods, right? Why did they buy Whole Foods? Because it's a distribution center, okay? And so I'm trying to reshape people's concepts of the what real estate really is. And until you get to um, maybe an architect putting lines on a piece of paper, everything's a distribution center. Scooters for Less is a? Distribution center. It sure is. The bottom line is it's a it's a distribution center. So I think that's the 
kind of the genesis, if you will, for Tech City to understand how that interplays with each other. On the on the on the decision side, there are some really dynamic and cool things going on in Gainesville. Truthfully, um, we can beat them up. I can come up with a dozen things that Gainesville's doing wrong. I can come up with you know ten times that many things that they're doing right. Okay, um, I was just you know somewhere and they were talking about how Gainesville had done it right you know with its beauty and its character and so forth um uh so there's a lot of good things going on but there's some things that you know take fracture as an example they're producing i think over half a million fractures a year probably 1300 a day you know you're talking about semis worth of product coming in and semis of product going out so to the world. Dude, that crew was hustling during the oh, holidays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, that's like a 24-7 operation. Oh, they have to be because yeah. they're in such a small space. But they were looking at their options candidly, and they love Gainesville. But where in Gainesville are you going to find 30,000 single story with a roll-up door for a semi to park his truck there so you can just pull up to it? They load it, they do their thing, and they have opportunity to grow. So Tech City is, uh, I thought interviewing and we've dealt a lot with the millennial class one is millennials hate to be called millennials by the way and so um, for those in that younger strata we'll call it that and I thought that I knew this class but the reality is when you know one you know one so we had some concepts brought together and then we sat down with them and we're like no we don't want that we want to we want to live like real lives we want to have a dog we want to have a we want to have a, uh, um, you know, we want to have a grill on the back porch, you know, and those kinds of things. We want to have walking trails and we want to have, you know, activity and, and so forth. So Rich Blazer, who is my business partner and I. Which is the coolest thing that your name is Mitch Glazer <laughs> and his name is Rich Blazer. Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, think that's like uh, fantastic. Only in Gainesville. Uh, um, so we put this idea together to really maximize the efficiencies of these buildings. They're kind of the, I call them the Model T of, of commercial development. We have taken all of the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing and put it through these chases. So that's where it all drops down. We've maximized the roofs then for no penetrations. So we can do solar. We've done promenades, so we have these pedestrian corridors. We have a clubhouse, swimming pool, tennis and basketball and, and volleyball courts. We have uh, community gardens. We, we do have walking trails. I like to say the coolest thing going on is that I like to say our development is 7,282 acres. We're developing 82 of it and 7,200 acres we're going to keep in natural preserve. It's called the San Flasco Hammock with over 30 miles of bike paths. There were over 600 people at the San Flasco Hammock over the weekend. 600 riding their bikes, okay? So the millennial class, if you will, that we're trying to tap into are threefold. One, minimalists. Number two is their sustainability. And, and number three is health through activity. And just a real quick definition of what we're doing. So we're offering all of that. Our community will be sustainable. We're going to have, you know, our first phase has one megawatt of power. So power the whole place, the whole place, housing and everything. Um, 
We have some really cool concepts going on in there. Um, I'm actually, uh, Rob Edmonds and I are actually traveling to Pennsylvania in a couple weeks. We're going to go buy two PCC trolley cars. We're gutting the inside and we're going to have those as sitting areas inside a coffee shop slash um, uh, sandwich shop up front. Really cool, restored 1950s style. Um, and so it's under development now. It'll be done in April, our first phase. Uh, we're currently in negotiations with two companies. One's a pharmaceutical company for a sizable number of square feet. Um, and then another's an engineering uh, company as well. So and these are companies that are already in Gainesville that are? Uh, both of them are, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. and so, they're expanding. I mean, like, let's, let's talk about that because I feel like there's some concern about the fact that this is in Alachua. Okay. Like a lot of people, a lot of people know with our with our podcast, are like, oh, like you guys, like we're all about retaining talent mm -hmm. in Gainesville, attracting people to Gainesville. And I've had a lot of people like, hey, what do you think about this tech city and the thing of like being out in out in Alachua and what does that look like? And it sounds like a lot of people don't know a lot about the 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 nature aspect to it and a lot of the the yeah, other cool yeah. benefits that are going to come with it that you can't do in downtown Gainesville or you know or somewhere yeah. else. Um, and and I know and I know that there's been a lot of concerns over you know rent prices in particular areas of yeah. Gainesville. Yeah. There's companies like you know I we're here we are talking about fracture. I like this company's growing like crazy. You know yeah. the last thing I want is for a company like that to leave. to leave. Right. So if it means like going out to Alachua yeah. versus because they need that that space, then then like I'm all, then I'm all about it. So like I'm so I'm like pro what you're doing, yeah. but I know that there's a lot of people that are concerned about it, um, at, right. le at least from that perspective, yeah. so maybe you could talk a little bit on sure. that. So a couple things, one is people know Alachua by driving I-75 or 441 and that's it. Right. Uh, number two, Sharp Springs not even in Gainesville. They're in the county, just as an example, so I don't know about the uproar of that. Uh, number three, there's more traffic in front of Tech City than there is in front of the Siegel Building. There's more traffic. There's more. There's more people in front of Tech City entrance than in front of the entrance of the Siegel Building, which everybody knows the Siegel Building. Okay, so there's some myths out there. The other cool thing is this is on the trail line that goes from the Innovation Hub biking a bike trail goes all the way up by here. Now it's currently when GRU start stops taking coal for the GRU plant, I would envision that that's gonna to convert to a rail to trail, which Alachua County just did for High Springs to Newberry, okay? That just happened, or is happening, I should say. So this is going to link. So you can get on a bicycle from Tech City and come all the way to Innovation Hub, and it's like nine miles. That's cool. Yeah, Tech City's only two miles from the city of Gainesville, just from the city limits, okay? Uh, from 43rd Street, it's three and a half miles up 441. Um, there are a lot of myths about Alachua. I've started saying, you know, people say, well, where's Tech City? You know, where's the San Velasco, Tech City? I said, well, it's it's in the San Velasco. It is. It's a city. It's a San Velasco, Tech City. It's, you know, trying to get away from saying that it's in Alachua. But um, that's a sales pitch for those who don't understand. You, okay. So for those who are beating up this concept, go to Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville, number one. They're getting an award a week. They're one of the most robust, kick-butt, fun, great downtown vibe things going on in the entire world. Not the country, in the world, okay? 
go see what they have done. Look at Samsung that's you know 15 miles out that way, or uh, BMW that's 20 miles out that way. I mean, they even I think Clemson is 20 miles away from Greenville, and that's where everybody that's their downtown. Yeah. Their their college for Greenville is 20 miles away. You know, and so I think it's just a very naive thing that's going on in terms of saying Alachua, you know, versus versus Gainesville. Right. It's still Gainesville, and I can tell you, it's going to help Gainesville a lot. Yeah, well, that's a what, lot. I mean, that's why I was excited to have you on here and talk yeah. a little bit about that because me, I knew I knew some of the perspectives out there, and the one thing that I know about you and Rich both yeah. are that you are super invested into the entrepreneurial yeah. community here. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, you've been a personal mentor to me, and like, and I know that Rich has been to several entrepreneurs here. The guy's so giving of his time. So, um, yeah. so, so, like, I appreciate you guys immensely for that. But I, but I wanted, uh, I definitely wanted to bring up the opportunity to talk a Absolutely. little bit about it because the, that perspective has definitely I, even been thrown at me a, yep. a, a few times. I don't know if you've got it, but yes. I've got a lot of people just kind of like, ah, like what, you know? It's pretty funny, I'll tell you this. You, I'll tell you what, straight from this studio, I'll race you, I can get to Tech City quicker than you can get to Celebration Point. <laughs> yeah, I, okay. I would agree. <laughs> all right, so case closed, yeah. all right? Another fact um, that's really important when you talk about Rich and I's influence and impact on this community, it really, what we are for, what we love and love to do, okay? Couple things, one is Rich Blazer's company, 312 employees at last count, okay? Does over half a billion in revenue a year, okay? How many customers do you think he has in Alachua County? Zero. Zero, and he's here. Right. So trust me, no, our, I, our f- com- I know you're not beating me up. Right. I know you're speaking I, to your, your, your yeah. audience. The reality is we believe in this community a lot more than some who talk about it. We are investing in companies here. We're investing in startups. That's a fact. Um, where I'm not sure, uh, I'm not gonna name names, but you know, some people who might say those kinds of things, what are they doing? I mean, I'm doing a podcast called Startup Talks to focus on the, look, two other things. One is, the number one biotech uh, incubator in Alachua County, I'm just kidding, in the state of Florida. No, I'm just kidding, in the United States. No, I'm just kidding. The number one incubator, the biotech incubator in the entire world, okay, I'm talking about the globe. I'm talking about China. I'm talking about any country. I'm talking about, uh, name them, the entire world from one side to the other and every point in between. North, south, east, and west, the number one biotech incubator in the world. The only incubator to ever be named twice number one in the world is in Alachua, Florida, not in Gainesville, okay? But it's in Gainesville, for crying out loud. Right. I mean, are they really beating that up? Is that a horrible thing? And I will tell you what's happening before our own eyes. This corridor, 441, is becoming a tech river, okay? And you're seeing p- companies like um, uh, Exact Tech is on 441. If you think about it, 34th Street, right? When you think about all the biotech, when you think of RTI, when you think of Brammer, when you think of, of um, all the others that are all along this corridor, you go all the way south to the uh, health complex of Shands with tens of thousands of employees, tens of thousands 
that is doing also the most incredible work on the planet and anchored by the Sid Martin Biotech Incubator and all the way south to the Shantz Complex. And they're building more hospitals and more discipline and more research going on than, I mean, they're getting a billion, 900 and some odd, but a billion dollars in the next 12 months will flow into our community for research at that South Complex. Think about that impact. Yeah, and so anyways, we're thrilled to be a part of it. Candidly, if real estate was, if you could find me 82, if you could find me 7,300 acres, you know, in downtown Gainesville, you know, we are, uh, we just kicked off, by the way, before I let you go, um, and I don't know how much more time we have, but we just kicked off the coolest thing. We're doing a pedestrian flyover over 441 because we're looking at additional properties, but we're also have the uh, connectivity to the San Flasco hammock there, which is really gonna be cool. But one of the things we talked about was a tower element. And the tower element originally was gonna look somewhat like a fire tower, just an erector set, put some offices off the edges of it, some hangout areas and collaboration rooms. And it would be for like climbing the uh, steps at the stadium. You know, you, you could have it for activity. We're gonna have platforms at, at um, you know, 50, 100, 150 feet. This is gonna be cool, we could have your lunch up there, we could meet, we could do whatever. And so it was gonna, you would reserve these rooms or, and so we had people come to us and say, look, I'm looking to start a coffee uh, shop. I wanna go into the first floor of this tower. So we started morphing our chains. We, we have a brewery, we'd like to be there. You know, so people are wanting to be a part of this, right? Well, the whole thing morphed now that uh, Rich and I, putting our money where, where our mouth is, I mean, our own hard-earned money, um, we have um, just launched with the University of Florida a contest. And um, they are designing the flyover and the world's tallest indoor rock climbing gym that we're looking at putting up there. So we will attract people to this region. And when they come here, you know, they're gonna go to the Hippodrome and they're gonna go they're going to go to uh, uh, Dragonfly. They're going to go to these places, and that's the missing part that people don't understand. Um, you know, this this ecosystem is way too uh, has way too much movement for it to be just situated in a couple block area. Um, there's too many cool things going on, you know, in our region not to capitalize on those opportunities yeah so it's gonna um, be super cool to see this thing come to fruition you know yeah yeah it's gonna and, have, and it, i and i look at you and rich as as influencers like big time within this community and i know that ty and i like we look at ourselves as like hopefully being that next you know mm-hmm. right coming up right behind you being yeah. being right there and also having that kind of impact because you guys have had such we an incredible that. impact yeah. Yeah. yeah um real quick like I want, conf- this was supposed to be a lot more, more uh, fun and a lot more jokes and stuff. What happened to no, dude, look, you? I said mean, there would be a lot of laughter. I think you're. Well, I always have a lot of laughter. <laughs> but um, well, I mean, you're such a good storyteller. I mean, you were. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, Where can people find um, access to that contest? So it's with the University of. I'm so, that's a great question. So Martin Gold is a professor at the University of Florida School okay. of Architecture. Yep. So it's, it's their teams. It's already okay. It's okay. already formulated. Okay. So very cool. as I understand it, they're getting a uh, engineer uh, contract 
someone out of construction, and then uh, an architect. Cool. And those teams are going after it. And there's okay. like six or seven teams. Okay. And then there's a first, second, and third prize and so forth. Okay. So uh, it's a school project for them, so they'll take okay. their whole semester to awesome. evolve this. Um, well, I'll get his work. information afterwards so I can reach out and maybe do some Best of Gainesville promotion. Oh, cool. That's yeah. The, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Some crowdsourced uh, yeah. ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun. Yeah, very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, real quick. So, I mean, we we, we started got we got talking and we never came back to this. So I want to like spend just a couple minutes okay. on it. But you said something at the very beginning of the podcast about sexy rut. Okay. So, like, like, well, so, I just wrote sexy rut yeah, down. I'm like, funny. I'm like, well, what is okay. this? Okay. So what happened was I would get in front. Look. So Jackie was very crafty in her hiring of me. She said, you're, you're in, we'll do it, da, da, here's what we do, I guarantee you this, and so forth. You'll make this or more based on per num- numbers in the, in, the, in the participants. So it was that number or higher, and I said it, I just probably shouldn't have, but it was a lot of money, you know. And um, so they put all the material together and they would ship it out, they would, they would actually, uh, get all the uh, scheduling put together and air, and I would just kind of go do my thing. And these motivationals are days long, you know, so it was, it was, it was um, some of them were one day, but it wasn't like a Tony Robbins one hour, rah, rah, you know, whatever. Right. These were very interactive, very content filled. And so I had to write a lot of material and so forth as well. And, and um, so one, one of the funny, I'll, I'll tell you how this kind of all evolved and I'll make it as short as I can, but she had me go up um, to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we all went out for dinner. So the whole company, or as many of the employees that could you know, go or whatever, we all went out to dinner. And so we had a great time and, and uh, just chatted about things and just general life stuff and, and had no idea really what actually was going on. So the next day I go and I show up and, and they go, well, you're hired. And I'm like, well, I thought, I thought you already offered me the job. And she goes, no. She goes, that's what I told you. But (laughs) what we do is we get all the other employees to buy in and we want them to approve who were, who they're going to be, you know, working with. And I was like, holy crap. That's, I had no idea that I was actually being interviewed. And so it was an interview without me knowing that I was being interviewed. Very fascinating concept, by the way. Although, <laughs> I'm not, you know, although if it went really bad, I'm not You'd sure. You'd be like, oh, I thought I had yeah, the job. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I sorry, would, yeah, you completely yeah. misunderstood. <laughs> I could totally. You know, yeah, we'll give you one gig a year, right. you know. Yeah. So, anyway, she says, okay, I, we've got this, um, it's up in uh, London, it's in London, Ontario, not London. Uh, United Kingdom. So anyways, she said, um, you know, you're going to go across the border. You don't have a work. Per- I can say this stuff now because I don't go up there. But uh, you don't have a work permit, but don't worry about it. You're just going to go snow skiing or whatever. You're going to see a friend. And so I go up there and anyways, I go to the Elmhurst Inn. I'll never forget. It was snowing outside. It was just crazy. It was beautiful. It was all these windows around. It was like, all you know, you see up on this hill like a barn. And all you're waiting for is two things. You're waiting for the deer to jump by and then the bullet to fly. I mean, it was like, what's, what's going on here? It was picturesque, but you're like kind of out there on this beautiful setting. Incredible. And I remember I was in front of this big group of people. 
and they're all kicked back like this. They're just like, so they've all been forced to go there because they're not producing for their company. They've been sent there to be motivated, right? And so I'm like, God, what am I doing here? You know, I'm like, who am I to be doing this? You know, and it was the first time I'd ever done this gig and content and so forth. And they're all just kind of kicked back. You could just, the body language was as ugly as it gets, okay? And so I don't know why, but I went around the room. We got some introductions and figured out who, what people wanted to learn and just kind of really get their buy-in. It was one thing I'd always done, real good questioning. And so anyways, I, and so we had come, kind of come to me and I said, well, you know, I'm from, I'm from Gainesville, Florida. And, uh, um, you know, here's a little bit of my history. And I said, look, you know, and I don't even know why I said it. And I don't even know why it was funny. It's probably not funny now, but I said, look, we're, we're from, we're just inbred, corn-fed, and hand-spanked. And they just thought that was hilarious. And so I knew through humor and through storytelling and so forth that I'd get greater buy-in. That was the line I used, okay? And then I realized the further syrupy south I got, the more the, you know, the, the head turns and like really getting sucked into this thing. So I'd use that South Carolina almost accent. I wasn't from Florida anymore. I kept moving up, you know, <laughs> to, to mid part of the state. So before you know it, it was a three-day gig. The last day, all the owners of the companies were there like, you got to come see this guy and da, 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 you know. And from there, I never missed a beat, never had, uh, never somewhere to go to. And... Um, so that was that was really really cool but what happened was i i got so good at beta testing certain things i would take the sign and especially if there was an owner there or a manager in the room and it was i almost felt like bringing one in here today so we you've seen it done before you you know it's like bob so you take a piece of board or whatever and you you hold it up and everybody's Bob, you know, and you go, Bob, 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 you're whatever. And it, it just gets them loosened up and they're awake and it's just an icebreaker kind of thing. Right. And so I would, you know, that was kind of the testing into, you know, like, okay, let's do some fun stuff, you know? And so we would do things like that. I would do things like that. And then I would say, okay, so when I saw the body language go negative, I would always, you know, say, well, how many of you are here? today how many of you are in a rut how many of you anybody in a rut and they would be forced to put their hands up because nobody's not in a rut you know that's in my seminar right they're not there <laughs> if they were there they would either be teaching it or they need to be taught it so they would all i'm in a rut i'm in a rut so what i did was coin this phrase called the sexy rut so i would take them through and i won't do it here but a whole really cool day really like a day like of you that you have okay and so and it's like wouldn't you want to emulate that every day wouldn't you want that to be your rut wouldn't you want to be so far down in that rut that you couldn't get out of it right that's a cool day i want another day like that and so i coined the phrase the sexy rut and it's a twist on being in a rut to being in a sexy rut being sexy just means it has a flavor of, wow, that's gotta be a good rut to be in. It's got woe flavor, baby. Yeah, it got woe yeah. flavor. 
Okay. So that's that's it. And um, I'm glad uh, we addressed that because <laughs> otherwise, like you would have dropped the word "sexy rut" at the beginning of the podcast, and everybody would have been like, "What was that? Yeah. We yeah. never yeah. touched base on." So it. I've got a book that's about half written. I've got a deal, and um, it was funny because I was talking to my brother Mark. He's like, "You got to finish that thing." So it's really um, got some a lot of good storylines in it, but it's about making decisions that are that you're that you can take a path and create a successful path for yourself. And that's really what life is about is making those choices. You know what those you know what things really need to have happen. You have that conversation with yourself all the time. You know, there's there's two of you, right? There's there's the inside and the person talking to you. And so and that comes from Mickey Singer on if you've read his book. But it's a it's a good read. I think that one is called the Untethered Soul, mm-hmm. and it talks about the inside, inner self and and the conversations you have. Like who's who's really in control? You or you? Like what do you mean? Me. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, but you you know what I'm talking I about. I just got that book. Oh, just, did you really? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. That's ironic. Yeah, you'll enjoy it because yeah. it talks about that how you beat yourself up and who's winning and. It really has a profound um, pause in your life to think about, wait a minute, I'm sitting here middle of the night, tossing and turning, having a conversation with myself. That does not need to happen. When you talked about waking up at 4.30 in the morning and getting that clutter out of your way, when you talked about that spiritual connection, your pray time, your meditation, maybe yoga, maybe whatever, it doesn't have to be long, but you need to have that cleansing of time that says, okay, here's what I'm doing today. You yeah, know. well, and I'll be honest about the meditation thing. Like I've, I mean, I don't judge anybody else for that kind of stuff, Like, but I've, I've always been the guy who's seen it and just kind of right. laughed it off, just right. been kind of like, okay, like, yeah. that's cool, do your thing, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's always kind of been my attitude about it. And then like I took a, a trip with a couple friends and, and they were like, oh, no, you're gonna do this. Yeah. And so I did it. And I was like, oh, damn, like I feel better. <laughs> I was like, I feel, I was like, I feel really good. And so I kept doing it. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this like really works. And then, and then I actually found like from the, from the spiritual sense, I actually found that I was more focused in my prayer Yeah. after, like I would meditate yeah. first, like really clear my head and then like, and then just focus on, on my prayer time. And I was like, man, like this is, this is really, really good. Yeah. And so, so now I'm getting hooked yeah. and trying to incorporate it into my daily routine. But I'm pretty sure uh, Untethered Soul, when Oprah Winfrey read that book, I'm pretty, he's written two uh, number one time bestsellers. Okay, and that's one of them. Um, I'm pretty sure it was that one when she read it, she called Mickey Singer up. Hey Mickey, this is Oprah Winfrey. He's like, huh? You know, like really? And um, and Mickey Singer is a rock star himself. I mean, he's you know, you should have him in here. Actually, he created a billion dollar local company. Okay, medical manager. So a lot doctors all you have that connection for us. I probably can. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it See, be, no fear of rejection. This guy. No, I'm no, just no, going to no. ask questions. All no, no, no. <laughs> we, we, I really believe we could probably get him in here. Right, you, do yeah, it up, man. Me, yeah. It's on so you. So Oprah called and says, "You know the what? The whole world, the whole WHOA GNV podcast fan base there you go. is going to be disappointed if you don't deliver that." Yeah. But um, <laughs> she says, uh, "I want you to know what I'm going to do next." And, she, and he's like, "What's that?" He, she goes, "I'm going to read it again." It's a good book. Cool. It's a very provocative. It's a very provocative concept 
about this conversation that you have with yourself all the time. We all do, and there's a way to manage that, and he talks about it, and it really does help you become laser focused on really who you want to be. Cool. So We're going to have to wrap up in a second, but I want you to get the last question in. You got anything? No. Uh, I guess my last question would be, is, is Tech City looking for any businesses in particular to join them in any kinds of industries that you are you don't have yeah. yet. Yeah. So everything's on the table. Okay. Um, we, you know, I, I do know that the food component is a, a big missing link out there. Um, you'll, uh, the promenade itself is such an impressive structure. It can hold food trucks and activities and so forth. Uh, there's pitch areas, there's uh, a myriad of things, but there's certainly a lot of food opportunities for those who are in the business, either from the food truck side or, or actually having a stand-up facility that we can have, you know, out there. Uh, much like many things that are, for, you know, take celebration as a good example. Actually, it takes a while for it really to get. Sure. I wouldn't call it traction, but some synergy, yeah. right? So there's more food choices coming, and there's. Yeah, you know, now they have a spa and they have this, and so there's there's a lot of morphing that goes on, and it doesn't happen overnight. So, um, our success overnight is this: speed of delivery. Think about this: we closed on the property in September, we start construction in October. We're going to be open in April. I mean, these are just seventy-five thousand square feet of structure. This is huge. Okay, so speed of delivery is one of our key components. Okay, also. Simplistically, fractures rent is half of what it would have been anywhere else in Alachua County. So, you know, that's another thing we're bringing is our investment is to incentivize these companies to land there, be successful, give them structures that for a long time have a lot of runway. There's a lot of flex flexibility with Tech City. The coolest thing, we can take a building, put fracture in it, we can put housing in it. We can put daycare in it we can i mean there's a lot of things oh, that's another opportunity so a lot of the employees who are looking um, to live out there stay out there work out there and that kind of thing are asking about daycare and so if anybody has a daycare that they would like to expand out there we'd love to work with them we can provide very affordable space um, Ty and I are now starting a tech daycare center. There you go. We'll, we'll bring a Duncan in on it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Get some yeah. kids coding stuff. Yeah. Oh man, but, it'd be uh, awesome. Yeah, much much <laughs> like the we do have we do have a couple different. We're negotiating with a couple different uh, folks on the rock climbing gym. I think that's going to be a game changer in the sense that that's going to bring people from Atlanta. Absolutely. There will be people from Miami coming up for the weekend and, 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 and participating. It has different activity portions to it, including workout and yoga and physical fitness. And, and also, the, it's going to qualify also for Speedwall, which is the Olympic event, 60 feet mm. of rock climbing. Cool. And so um, it would also be a training facility for those who are in Speedwall as well. Next so, podcast event, me versus Ty up the wall there you go yeah <laughs> so <laughs> we're we're, we're really excited about that coming to fruition yeah. and we're excited to see the the uh, design teams come up with some really fun and unique uh, designs yeah you know upwards of cool, 200 man. feet so. i cannot wait to see it yeah if anybody wants to connect with you what's the best way for them to do so do you have like a website or something? Who? Who? I don't want to connect. No, with yeah, Mitch. you don't want to connect. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't no. connect with Mitch. <laughs> okay, so it's real easy. It's Mitch at GlazerOnline.com is my email, and Glazer is G L A E 
S-E-R-Online.com, uh, Mitch at GlazerOnline.com. And candidly, I'll give out my phone number. My cell number, 352-538-0072. Anyone can have it. I'm accessible all the time. As you opened up with, I'm very transparent. I love helping people. Um, we're doing solar trees, by the way, out at Tech City solar. as well. Yeah, I mean, the, Lex Dold is a rock star, a local um, entrepreneur. You go by his place, he's making phenomenal um, woodworking pieces. He has bicycles that he's built, these frames that are all over the world. He's uh, doing the solar trees, so we're doing a bunch of solar trees. There's they're 22, 23 feet tall, and they have these big 36 inch panels on them, like petals, and there's like a dozen per tree. Um, you know, Alachua. Um, I'm 99% sure that uh, Code of Gainesville doesn't allow them. It's a long story. They're more infatuated with the live tree or whatever, but I think we need to find ways to incorporate and celebrate solar. Um, and Alachua is completely like all about it. Yep. And so there's there's some things that need to happen in Gainesville. I mean, can you imagine going through like um, some of the newer developments, call it Celebration or even Butler or whatever, if you saw like 30 or 50 of these solar trees around, I mean, it would be cool as hell. Yeah. It'd be really cool. And it's, just, it's all about sustainability. Right. And um, I can't wait to see yours, man. It's gonna be neat. Yeah, we'll have to like maybe maybe we can get rich. Maybe you can help us get rich on the podcast after it's all built out and sure. we can talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I think yeah. it'd be cool to like kind of having this one and then seeing, you know, interviewing him or maybe even having both you guys come in or something and just talking about it once it's actually his speaker going. fees twice. As yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. So, well, hey, man, thanks again so much for being here. I love it. I, yeah, I appreciate time. you so much. I appreciate you always investing into me and, and this community. Sure. And I'm excited to see what 2019 holds holds for you. Me too. So. I still want to know what you look like without the hat on. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I feel like people have seen this, but I mean, it's just short hair, man. I, I wasn't sure if you were bald. Hair. I mean, I'm probably you know? not. He swoops the most it down, though, yeah. if he's doing it. No, that's like, almost actually, like implants. You have such a did perfect. My hair. He did. Yeah, yeah. It's like so a perfect. He, front he was like, he's like, no, dude, you got to go back like this. Yeah, <laughs> good. But it's a mess right now because I, sure I wake up and I throw a hat on and. But you're, you're sure they're not implants? What? Your hair. It's no. like a, it was perfect up there. So. <laughs> no, my gosh. <laughs> no. I've enjoyed it, guys. <laughs> Thoroughly thanks. enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, thanks for I'm gonna go ending, it, next ending it on that note. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> So, well, Gainesville World, we appreciate you so much. This is the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. We will see you later. Yeah.